There's a lot to talk about on this show tonight. There's a lot to talk about. We got kick-ass matches, got a couple of surprises, women's division was on form as always. Yes, there was one match that was so shit, it nearly sucked my soul out. But there's still a lot to talk about, so let's talk about it. What's going on, everybody? It's your buddy, it's your pals, Pass Phoenix, the YWC Reality Check here with your November 11th NXT review. House cleaning is going to be nice and quick. It's going to be a quick rundown. It's going to be me advertising myself. Unfortunately, timing did not work out. The next episode of Flix Fix with myself and Kristen did not go out. We did not get a chance to do it. You know, uh, real life got in the way, etc. That will be coming out shortly. That will be the second in second installment in our Joker trilogy. It will be the Dark Knight. We will do that at some point. Perhaps this weekend. I cannot guarantee anything. What I can guarantee is that last week, we were leading into uh, full gear. We did get Guapo on here. Guapo and I did do the, uh, the preview for that, so thank you to him. We had a good time with that, and full gear, for the most part, was, was all right. I mean, Eddie Kingston does look like a member of the Spirit Squad, but the match itself was still good. But let me just say really, really quickly. Let me just say really, really, really quickly. The uh, the criticism that we all levied, or those of us with a level head and without any bias, uh, said, let's keep an eye on the four co-VPs and where they position themselves in the company. Now, the first one was the first one to carry a title, which was Cody. And he's Cody Rhodes now. Isn't that exciting? He can't decide on a hair color, but he knows what his name is. Isn't that wonderful? Now, technically, he lost a title and still managed to put the spotlight on himself at the end. That's that's special, isn't it? The, the Bucks are the tag champions, and you just knew that was going to happen eventually, didn't you? And Kenny Omega is the next number one contender, which means he's going to be the next champion. So, yeah, it doesn't just go... It doesn't just go with the with the former WWE guys and the guys that run the place. No, no, not at all. We don't have a women's division that revolves around another company's title that's better than our own. No, no, no. But it was it was a good enough show. There was a lot of fun things on it. The they they need to fix that women's division. They really really do. Um, and I don't say that mockingly. I say I say that because they genuinely do have some women on that roster that I do like that do deserve a proper a proper place to uh, ply their craft, as as the expression goes. Now, that transitions nicely into the one thing that I can actually guarantee you is coming out this week, and I can only guarantee it because it's already been recorded. Tune in. You guys are watching this or listening to this probably on Thursday night. Tune in to this channel, 10 o'clock, Toronto, Canada time, right after SmackDown, wherever you are. It is me. It is Jake. We are talking about NXT. We are doing a thorough breakdown of the women's division of NXT. The best, the best, bar none, women's division in mainstream North American wrestling that there is. Now, obviously that excludes like all female divisions like Shimmer and Shine and, and, and places that I'm not familiar with like that. But... I'm sorry, bar none. I know Impact is doing a lot of cool things. I've heard, though I have not seen, that uh, ROH has their own way of doing doing it, and obviously NWA is doing something because they're propping up AEW's women's division. But I'm sorry, even cut out Raw, cut out SmackDown, cut out anything that involves Sasha Banks, let's be real. The NXT women's division is the best women's division there is in mainstream North American wrestling today. Myself, Jake DeMarco, are doing a three-part series breaking down the women's division of NXT. This coming Friday, which is going to be tomorrow when you guys are listening to this, it is part one, the undercard, but as you'll hear me say in that video, the reason that this women's division is so great is there really is no undercard. There's the bottom of the card who are all mid-card worthy because the mid-card is just stocked full of people that could be main eventers but just aren't yet. And then when we get to part three and we actually talk about the current main event scene, that is, that's just going to be a lot of fun. So, shout out to Jake, shout out to Guapo, shout out to Kristen, we're going to get our stuff done shortly, and as I always caveat, we will get Connor back on here for something, eventually. 
NXT this week starts off with the typical WWE um, typical WWE thing for uh, Memorial Day. So happy Memorial Day, happy Can uh, happy uh, Remembrance Day to my fans here in Canada. I don't know what you guys call it around the rest of the world. Um, there's not really much I can add to this. Uh, there's not really much I can say to this. Rather, I'm not in any situation where I can talk about anybody's military service and what it means to a country and all that sort of thing. Obviously, I'm thankful for the Canadian services, etc., but I'm not I'm not the person that should do, that should be doing a conversation like that. Other than to say, there are certain people out there in the world that you may like this or may not like this that are untouchable in my opinion, especially with this year, the way everything's gone this year. If you drive an ambulance, if you are a first responder, if you are an ER doctor, if you are any kind of doctor, if you are uh, fire and rescue, if you are the police, yes, that's right, I said the police, or if you are throwing on a uniform to defend your country, whatever your country is, you do have, you have attained a certain level of untouchability, in my opinion, and that should go without question. Obviously, you go do some fucked up shit, then fine, cool, whatever, but... They're, they're untouchable for a reason, and we thank them for a reason. In Canada, we I don't know if the poppy thing is worldwide, so I'm just saying in Canada. The, we do the poppy thing for a reason. We say in Flanders Fields for a reason. We stop at 11-11 or whatever, whatever, whatever your country does for a reason. So take your minute. I mean, you guys will have listened to this uh, on Thursday, so I hope you did it today. Take your take your two minutes, whatever the case may be, uh, and be thankful for the people that watch your back, whether they're doing it in another country or whether they're doing it on your own block, because especially this year, a lot of people have, have, have lost touch with that appreciation, and that's really, really shit. Anyways, how did we start the show? We started the show with the first of three title matches, Johnny Gargano versus Vacant for the North American Champion, and he comes out and he cuts a perfect Gargano promo. He comes out in the Power Couple t-shirt that him and Candice LeRae have on WWE Shop now that makes me laugh. There's two shirts on WWE Shop that make me laugh right now. There's the Power Couple one, and I'm single as fuck right now, so I'm not getting a Power Couple t-shirt, but there is the um, NXT Full Sail parking lot street sign, most dangerous place in wrestling, that, I'm not gonna lie, is is in the mail right now. He, uh, he has a wheel with him. A wheel of challengers, and you can see from a distance that one of them's just sort of been taped on. He runs down his list of first offense losses, the world title, the North American title, etc., etc., etc. Um, but he says he loves wheels, and he, he proved that the other week, and, you know, there's lots of, there's lots of good things that have wheels, and where there's a wheel, there's a way, and he spins the wheel that's clearly been, uh, it's clearly been rigged to land on the taped-on entry, and the taped-on entry is Leon Ruff, so out comes Leon Ruff, and I have something to say about this afterwards that's gonna twist a lot of people's nuts, and that's fine, I don't care. Sarcastic handshake to start. There's a boot in the face. There's some mauling in the corner. A fireman's carry slammed by Gargano and some corner chops. Forearms by Ross. Dropkick, a corner splash, and a corner elbow into the rail, into the fence. Goes Gargano on the outside. But there's Damian Priest in the crowd behind the plexi and then steps out from behind the plexi. So he's not social distancing at all, is he? There's a lariat by Gargano, a javelin into the second turnbuckle that I, I got to give it to Leon Ruff because Leon Ruff is great. He's a little bit comical in the fact, in the way that he gets ragdolled, but. Um, yeah, the uh, you got pre the the priest element on the outside. You got Leon Ruff comically selling on the inside. But in the midst of all of it, in the midst of all the hoopla of Gar of Gargano being distracted by priest on the outside, Ruff hits this really wicked torquing um, sort of crucifix powerbomb combination and gets the North American Championship. Now, the best thing about all this is Gargano is losing his fucking nut in the ring. Can't believe it's happened. He's already in denial before the three count even goes down. But even better is to see Leon Ruff at the top of the ramp celebrating with Damian Priest, who clearly towers over him, who then tries to put the belt on, and the belt falls down him because he's so skinny, and the belt... Like, the, the strap... Uh, one thing we don't really talk about... The strap on the North American Championship is a big, wide strap. Like it doesn't, it doesn't go narrow like most of the other belts do. And maybe that's just something that I noticed that I think looks weird. Some, uh, but it, it is what it is. It kind of makes me think of the more blocky belt that they had on the original NXT title. 
design, but it basically falls down his waist and falls around his feet, and even, uh, even, I think it was, uh, who was it? It was uh, WWE on Fox put a thing up congratulating him, and first of all, they they put a gif up of the belt falling down his waist and said, ah, don't worry, it happens to the best of us, and then they came up with another tweet that says, we're going to be honest with you, we didn't have a winning graphic for this, because if you follow WWE on Fox, they obviously react to all the shows, not just SmackDown because it's on Fox, which I think is really cool. Cross-promotion and, and a little bit of maturity there goes a long way, but they've always, they always seem to have a winning graphic ready. But whoever writes for their Twitter feed just said, hey, we're not going to lie to you, we didn't have a winning graphic for Leon Ruff, but we still, we're still happy for him. Now, I will say on Twitter, there's somebody that's not in WWE anymore that I really liked, that I was really bummed when... Uh, when I found out that he'd been let go or left or parted ways with the company or whatever, and that is somebody named Leo Rush. I like Leo Rush. I thought he was great in the manager role with Bobby Lashley. I thought he came back and absolutely saved and helped with the reinvigoration of the Cruiserweight Championship as it currently exists on NXT. I think the guy's an amazing wrestler, super underrated, really bummed that he's not in WWE anymore, but he went on a rant on Twitter, as you do, because people were comparing Leon Ruff to Leo Rush. Now, the logic thing there would be they have a really similar style, they're a really similar size, they're in a really similar, they're on the same brand as, as Leo Rush was on, and their names are ridiculously similar. And he decided to go the racial route instead. You, know, you shouldn't be calling Leon Ruff the next Leo Rush because it's, it's racist and it's derogatory and you're trying to take away from his accomplishments and roddy roddy rah. And no. It's a thing that happens in wrestling. I'm going to, as politely as I can, politely as I can, while still being honest to myself, I'm going to politely disagree with Mr. Rush on Twitter, who is partially just hopping on the post-WWE bandwagon of, oh, I didn't succeed there because they're racist, and really they put a big, huge, gigantic spotlight on you after you made a bit of a titty yourself. Um, but no. Uh, how many people have been called the next Shawn Michaels? How many people have been called the next Undertaker? How many people have been called the next Lesnar? How many people have been called the next whoever? How many people have compared Daniel Bryan to Bret Hart? Now, is that all because they happen to have the same skin tone? No, it's because Bret Hart and Daniel Bryan are, are like kings of the grappling craft. If you've got anybody that's spooky, they're going to be held up against The Undertaker. Bray Wyatt and The Undertaker are compared to each other. Um, Alistair Black and The Undertaker are compared to each other. Now, is that because all of them are white? You fucking moron. No. It's a thing that happens in wrestling. Stop doing the post-WWE, therefore I have to shit on the WWE thing, or the WWE fans thing, because you're slipping into Jordan Miles territory. Why don't you just smile like a Jordan Miles t-shirt and get the fuck over it, in all due respect. I am happy for the guy, though, because from the little bit that I've heard, he is finding success on the indies, and he is ma he's, making a, he's making a go of it where he is. So I don't want to shit on Leo Rush. I'm not going to all of a sudden pretend that he's not a fantastic fucking wrestler, because I don't agree with what he's doing on social right now. But you, you need to, to not... Are, isn't this the time where we're all supposed to be, you know, pulling it all back together? Isn't this where we all are, are we're, we're being told by those above us that we need to unify, even though, you know, stuff is still in debate? Moving on. Anyways, after commercial break, we come back. We have uh, Damian Priest and William Regal both congratulating Leon Ruff, not Leo Rush. Let's be clear. Let's, let's not get ourselves in trouble with Twitter. Um, <coughs> on his win, Damian Priest said basically... Johnny's gonna be losing his shit. My car's out there. Why don't you take it and get the fuck out of here? Which I'm like, you just you just gave him your car, dude. Like that's pretty cool. William Regal, you think he's gonna be there to make some kind of match? Either it's gonna be a rematch between Gargano and Priest, or or uh, just to corral Johnny Gargano. But Gargano comes in the back. They have a little bit of a pull apart that never really becomes a brawl, and William Regal just sort of stands there and and watches. And this is the thing of the night. We went a while without having William Regal there, obviously, because of the ongoing global situation. We finally got William Regal back, and he's he's already faded 
into the fucking furniture, hasn't he? But you got Gargano being pulled away by officials saying, why, why, who, whose idea was this? Whose idea was this? I would never agree to this. I hate wheels. Everybody knows that I hate wheels. And I fucking love Johnny Gargano. And if we get another round of Gargano versus Priest, I'm going to be totally fine with that as well. Now, talking to my uh, my on again off again NXT co-host uh, Jake DeMarco there I, I I posit this Leon Ruff was picked for this because Johnny Gargano thought it would be funny why did Johnny Gargano think it would be funny because Leon Ruff in the canon of of NXT isn't really anybody isn't really doing anything isn't really going anywhere and that's and that's kind of unfortunate because he is really good and he is Leo Rush esque in his talents, which means he could do a lot for the cruiserweight division if he decides to sit in there. Now, this is a storyline. This is a bookmark. Johnny Gargano is probably going to get his title back in a couple of weeks. But what that means now is that Leon Ruff, going back into the cruiserweight division, because he is a small guy and that belt might actually fit him, uh, is going to go into the cruiserweight division with the clout of being a one-time North American champion and Johnny Gargano can be a two-time or three-time North American champion and everybody can go off in their wildly off in all directions as they say but you know what this is this is good this is all around good now when Isaiah Swerve Scott was was having his issues with Legato del Fantasma, and they gave him a three-man group. I thought that Leon Ruff was going to be thrown into that. I thought it was going to be Leon Ruff, Ashanti the Adonis, and Isaiah Swerve Scott. They didn't put Leon Ruff in there. They put, uh, what's his name, Jake Atlas in there instead, which kind of threw me off because I thought, what are they doing with Leon Ruff then? Um, I pause it to you later on down the line. Uh, Swerve Scott, at this point, I don't think will get the Cruiserweight Championship, but I think he will go one step above. I think he will end up picking up the uh, picking up the North American champion at some point. But if he's in a stable with Ashanti the Adonis and possibly Leon Ruff and one of them picks up the Cruiserweight title, that's a powerful little stable there. Uh, and I shouldn't say little because that's a derogatory, but it is good. Now, it's not going to be on the same level as like an Undisputed Era because they came in with a lot of pomp, a lot of circumstance, and there were four of them, and they could do the all, all the gold thing. But there's a lot of potential there, and this is a really cool thing, and Leo Rush just needs to calm the fuck down. I'm just saying. Putting it out there. Yes, I know that it opens me up to all kinds of bullshit in the comments. Bring it on. Bring it on at this point. Speaking of Jake Atlas, Jake Atlas had a Cruiserweight Championship match with Santos Escobar right after this. So back-to-back -back title matches. NXT, you spoil us. Moving on. Now, what they showed before this was Atlas in the NXT parking lot because it's the most dangerous place in all of wrestling and he took out one of the guy one of the guys I think it was Joaquin Wilde I'm not entirely sure because they're both in suits and it was shot from behind and my TV's shit because I'm going from a shitty stream because they don't want to play it in Canada it's fine but one of them gets taken out with a pipe by Jake Atlas kinda weird him being the babyface and all but Escobar versus Atlas for the Cruiserweight Championship starts off with showing that confrontation in the back and then all the entrances are being shortened which I, I don't really like but I think that's a TV timing thing more than anything else. Uh, gut shot by Escobar to start, and then a slap on the back. Drop kick by Atlas, insecurity by Escobar. A series of chops by Escobar, kicks to the back, leg sweep, and, and some kind of... Sub leg sweep transitioned into some kind of submission by Escobar. Initially, I thought it was going to be some sort uh, like a modified octopus, but then it was just sort of like... He sort of reached over him into something that I don't even know what to call it, so I'm not going to try. More strikes and a face buster by Escobar. Uh, Mudhole, both men trade some forearms. There's a seated abdominal stretch by Escobar. Atlas mauls him in the corner with a forearm knockdown. Atlas takes out Wild and Mendoza as each one of them try to trip him on the apron. And then he hits a springboard blockbuster on Escobar, and Escobar bails as we go to the commercial break. Coming back from the commercial break, we find out that Wild and Mendoza have been ejected. Now, yes, they are sporadically doing the pitcher-in-pitcher -pitcher thing like AEW does. I don't care. I can't be bothered looking at this much of a screen on a shitty stream because we don't get this shit in Canada and trying to make out what's happening during the commercial break. So, sorry. Coming back from the break, we find out that Wilder Mendoza have indeed been ejected. There's a mud hole stomp by Escobar, a running knee lift in the corner. Second row, Brana by Escobar and a frog splash. Running head scissor by Atlas was really nice because he just sort of spiked him. Dropkick and a super... <coughs> sorry. 
drop kick, suplex, and a super kick. Chops by Atlas, tossed off to the outside to the desk by uh, by Escobar. Atlas eats the steps on the outside. There's a hangman by Atlas as he's getting back in the ring. There's a really, really... Now, people want to get on Shotzi Blackheart because some of her stuff doesn't look perfect all the time. Atlas goes for a suicide dive on the opposite side of the ring, and he shorts it by a lot. He sort of threw his arm forward so that it looked like a suicide forearm, but it just sort of... I'm not shitting on the guy. I'm just really glad that he didn't hurt himself because he shorted this suicide dive by a lot, or Escobar went too far up the ramp, more likely. It's dry as fuck here, so sorry for that. <coughs> Hangman by Escobar and a super kick. Fireman sent on uh, super kick by Atlas. Cartwheel DDT gets blocked. Escobar hits that double underhook thing that looks like a pedigree onto his own knee and gets the win. Escobar comes out of this looking like a million bucks because for the most part he did it without his boys, so that strengthens that whole group. Atlas made another great showing of himself. He can sort of lean on the fact that there was a little bit of interference in here. And there was... A, where he ran into the announce desk really hard, and B, where he sort of missed that suicide dive, where if you're telling a story, it's like, oh, if those two things hadn't happened, he might have won this match. I didn't think that we were going to get two title title changes on the bounce, uh, and Leon Ruff winning the North American Championship was enough of a surprise for everybody. Moving on. <coughs> oh, fuck, excuse me. Backstage, we have Dexter Loomis, and he's drawing, and he's drawing pictures of Cameron Grimes and the zombie referee. Now, that's lame, and now I'm going to move over to something that a lot of other people think is lame that I think is really good because I'm biased because I love Shotzi Blackheart. They did a, basically a replay of the running over of Shotzi Blackheart's tank by Candice LeRae last week. Now... How do I defend this? How do I how do I make fun of how lame Dexter Loomis is, and how do I come back and tell you how awesome this Shotzi thing is? Because Shotzi, when she first came to NXT, and I think it's really been underscored by Bad News Barrett on commentary, is she's a weirdo. She's crazy. She's the typical, like, um, WWE treats a lot of their female characters that go down this route as, oh, they're just really unpredictable, and they'll, you know, they'll do something weird. But they've given... They've given all her, all of her weird things, meaning and explanation and and sort of a validity to a certain extent. They started explaining last week with the tank, with the fact that she's got family in the military, and that's what and that's one of the things the tank is supposed to represent. And it's really really represents, um, you know, it's it's a it's a toy, it's a prop, but it's also a, an expression of things that are important to her. And plus, with this week being Remembrance Day slash Veterans Day. Uh, hits a little too close to home. Now, real life will tell you the story about when her her car got hijacked and all she really wanted back was that helmet because she got it in her first training camp or training school or whatever and she's had it ever since and whatever. And if you follow her on social media, I don't know if she's still doing it now, but when she was doing it all through October, she was going through and doing all these little videos on how like horror movies and goth sort of goth slash horror culture means a lot to her and that's why you know she looks the way she does you know different colored hair and tattoos and whatever so all the things that make her a weirdo are slowly getting explained away by her or the company or the brand or a combination of all three and I think that's really cool and if you do that then you can do something like what they did with the tank last week and have it actually mean something and that's awesome. Not everybody's going to buy into that, and I completely understand that. But then, again, some people buy into, eh, you're really embarrassed because you were swimming in orange juice. Jericho's 50, by the way. Next time we want to talk about the old people in WWE, Jericho is 50. And he was their champion, like, last year. Moving on to what I thought might have been, eh, or might have been good, or whatever. Uh, one of the people we are going to talk about, myself and Jake, in this uh, episode that's coming out on Friday that I really hope you guys check out, is Raquel Gonzalez, and how much my opinion of Raquel Gonzalez has changed uh, ever since Halloween Havoc, ever since she had that banger with uh, with Rhea Ripley. She needs to go on doing stuff like that, so I figured her match with Zia Lee this week was going to be that, because Zia Lee is sort of on a losing streak, and she, they're telling a really weird story with her. And Raquel Gonzalez just had this really strong losing effort against Rhea Ripley, but she can still show that she's a wrecking ball. She can squash Zia Lee. Both stories can get uh, 
can get fed by that, I guess you could say. Uh, but it doesn't happen. She comes out, and Zaya Lee doesn't. And then we see Boa, who comes down to say, Zaya Lee's not here, the match isn't happening. Raquel Gonzalez, rightfully so, was like, what the fuck? She called me out. Why isn't she here? And then, which is even better, because Boa's not a small dude. Like, I've never seen him wrestle. I think we saw him wrestle once when he was, like, first signed, and he was, like, random, like, here's this guy. But Gonzalez beats the crap out of Boa instead, for reasons, and I think that is so much better. Uh, boots him out of the ring, they fight on the outside a little bit. She throws him into the rail, she throws him into the fence, brings him back in, hits him with the big boot. Uh, sort of struggles for a second, but does eventually get that cradle powerbomb thing that she does on him, and leaves, because it's like, what the fuck, this chick called me out, and she's not here, you're the messenger, I will definitely kill the messenger, and that's fine. And then the lights go out, and then things get creepy, and then we get into this story about whatever this overarching power over Zia Lee is, because they get the uh, the CWC goes really dark, and this this dragon graphic sort of goes goes once around once around the uh, the facility, and this old dude comes out and just sort of hands Boa the same kind of letter that he's been coming out and handing. Uh, Zia Lee, the guy, the old dude sort of like writes something on his hand with what looks like either ink or ash or something like that, so he's been marked. I think I was right in my joke a couple weeks ago, like, are they doing a Chinese Mafia thing in NXT? I don't know if that's okay. I mean, I'm gonna laugh, and I'll, I'll, I'll be down for it, because it's not something that's ever really been done in mainstream North American tele television anyway. I'm sure if there's Chinese federations out there, they've they've at least touched on on this sort of theme, but I I don't know. Like I I kind of want to know what that would look like if that's the venue that they're actually going down. Um, will it be offensive? Probably to somebody, but like people are offended by numbers and colors and, and all kinds of things. Leo Rush is offended by things that are happening in a company that he's not even in anymore. He's definitely going down the Jordan Miles route. So if this is what this is, I, I'm i worried for NXT because it'll get the backlash that everything else gets. It'll get the same backlash that, you know, having Austin Theory on your show has, the same backlash that Justin Roberts or Darby Allen or or not even okay, fuck. Not even Matt Riddle. 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 Oh, wrestling wrestling hurts my brain. If this is a Chinese mafia thing, I'm gonna laugh. I don't even care. I, I was about to say I don't know how I feel about it, but you know what, at this point, fuck it. If you live in a world where people are going to be offended anyways, do it. Whatever it is, if the possibility is that it will offend somebody, I guarantee you there's somebody that got up this morning wanting to be offended that wanted to pick up that it. So do your it, because whether it is actually offensive or not, they will pick up the it and find a way to be offended. So it, it, it. Do it. Piss more people off. Fuck it. Yeah, I'm doing great in COVID. Thanks for asking. August Gray beat up by Thatcher in the back for reasons, because he's the one that came out last week to stick up for the other student, and the Thatch's Thatch can thing that I thought had a glimmer of getting better is just getting really lame. And he throws him... Oh, good Lord, good Christ. I have to, I have to consciously pause here, because I'm going to get to something later on, and it starts here. Thatcher throws this random student, this August Gray guy, through the easel that had Dexter Loomis's drawing of the zombie and, and Cameron Grimes. And he just happened to be there, and they looked at each other, and William Regal, still standing in the background, just sort of like checking out what's going on backstage. And I just looked at the two of them, and I'm like, I really don't want to see this. I, I could not, like, not even like, I don't like that guy, I don't like that guy, it's like, it's a double helping of I don't care. The Dexter Loomis thing worked for the Halloween Havoc thing because it was a cinematic haunted house thing, and I don't really care if Grimes looks like an idiot, but I don't care. I looked at this, and this was a, a harbinger of things to come. This was the silver surfer of, here's a match I don't care about, but we'll get there when we get there. Anyways. 
William Regal's having a busy night, and instead of that match, we can talk about Tony Storm versus Candice LeRae, which started as a collar and elbow type and a side headlock and grounded by LeRae. Now, I will say, I thought I was very clever on this, and I put it out on Twitter, and I put it out to a couple of people within the Spaz Phoenix podcast family. Candice LeRae is a great wrestler, and they do a lot of puns, and they're doing a lot of really, really banter stuff right now. How is her finisher not called the Disarray by Miss LeRae? You can have that one for free. Snapmare by Tony as we go in and as we go into a side headlock of her own because anything you can do, I can do better. Tony moves Larray into an arm bar, turns it into an arm breaker, and then it gets reversed into an arm breaker of her own by Larray. A lot of anything you can do, I can do better. They know I like this story. I like these two women. This match is great. Suplex by Storm and a low drop kick and some chops. Chop, uh, sorry, Storm goes for a hip attack and misses and crashes her hip into the side of the steps as we go into the commercial break. As we come back from the commercial break, there's a backstabber by Larray, which looked a little bit awkward only because of the size difference. Headbutt by Storm, German release suplex, hip attack, pair of low clotheslines, all all by Storm. Fisherman suplex by Storm, a low a low super kick by LeRae. Tony eats the turnbuckle hard. Uh, quick roll up with a feet on the ropes by LeRae. It wasn't the best way to end the match, but it's fine. The pin happened, and literally they both got up and kept fighting. Shotzi Blackheart hops in because of what's going on with the tank and the disrespect and all that sort of thing. And then Ghostface from Halloween Havoc came out. And they all brawled. And I will say, the ghost face thing is cool. And worst kept secret in wrestling, in modern wrestling history. But in the meantime, when somebody's trying to wrestle with a mask on or brawl with a mask on, look at our friends in Retribution. Um, half of it is them brawling and half of it is them making sure the mask stays on. Especially when it's not a proper, like, secure mask like Retribution has. It's just the ghost face thing from Scream. So they brawl, and the heels stand tall, and the, the mask comes off. And as I say, worst kept secret in modern wrestling history, underneath the mask is Indy Hartwell. And as predictable as that is, and as much as we knew that back back at uh, Halloween Havoc, I love this. I love this, this potential, like, evil mentor, like, you know, Sith lords. There's always two of them, Candice LeRae and Indy Hartwell. Um, it is going to be good. It's going to do nothing but good things for Indy Hartwell. It will put uh, Candice LeRae into this even more obnoxious, like, mentor role. Johnny Gargano's gonna f to, going to f fuse into it somehow. Um, this is good. What this show did tonight, they're... Everybody said this in one way or another, and I do, I do want to think that that NXT can win, and I do think they can win. It's not going to happen right now because it's not the trendy thing to do, but that's fine. They are not counter programming. They are not panic booking. They are not. Um, ooh, look at this new shiny thing we got. Oh, by the way, apparently I haven't watched AEW yet, but apparently the new shiny thing on AEW is Shaq. Somebody explain that to me down in the box below. But they're not doing any of that. What they are doing is they all have stories. And and they're not all main event stories. There are a lot of mid-card stories, a few even undercard stories. Uh, the Zia Lee thing, for example, I would almost consider an undercard story, but I still really want to know where it's going. So that's... Uh, it's all good, but everything took a step tonight. Everything took a step last week. Now... Halloween Havoc was a big shiny thing because it was meant to be a big shiny thing. But now, the way this is all going, and the reveal, if you want to call it that, of Indy Hartwell uh, coming to the aid of Candice LeRae is awesome. Now, also, the other thing to be said about all this is apparently they did the Scream Mask thing because Indy Hartwell couldn't be at the facility for the Halloween Havoc show because she was kept in quarantine because of the ongoing global situation. So... To throw in a little random, hey, who do you think's under the mask thing for a Halloween show, it was a nice fix because it fit the corny corny nature of the night, if that makes sense. So it all kind of worked. Um, Breezango hyping up their tag team title rematch tonight against Pat McAfee and his crew, who are apparently unofficially being called the kings of NXT. And I really love how obnoxious that is. But they're talking about how, you know, everybody knows they like to have fun. It's not going to be fun tonight. It's going to be Brizango out there doing the shit. And here we got Thatcher versus Loomis, which I'm not going to talk about because I don't care. But here is what I'm going to say. Here is what I'm going to say. And this is where you get into stuff like the Shotzi tank thing. And this is where you get into whether people liked Halloween Havoc or not. 
there is so much good happening on this show that I don't even care that something happened that I don't care about. And I hope that makes sense. Used to be, used to be, somebody would come out, like Lacey Evans would come out and be like, ah, fuck, I don't care, and then I'd rumble about it. Or The Forgotten Sons, or Blake and Murphy when they didn't have uh, Alexa Bliss with them because they were a charisma vacuum as a tag team. Um, you know, Indus Share came out that I didn't, and I, I used to think, oh my god, this is such a great thing that why are we bringing the show down like this, but like, I think the only people really that are like that for me right now are Thatcher, Loomis, and Velveteen Dream. Velveteen Dream for obviously other reasons that we can talk about at other times, but these two, I just don't care. I know Thatcher's good at what he's doing, I just don't really care about what he's doing. Uh, Loomis, I, I, I got nothing. Uh, you only, if you only work in a bit, if you only work in a, in a gimmick like the Haunted House of Terrors thing, and you don't work, I'm being way, way harder on this than I should be, because what, what we saw in this match was that, I'm sorry, I'm losing my thoughts, my thoughts are kind of all over the place, so if you're watching on the video, don't even watch me, because I probably look like I'm crossing my eyes over in the corner somewhere. They're both physically capable which is the sad thing. And the upside is they were facing each other, so they weren't dragging down other people that I like, so that's good. But I really didn't care. My, my point in all this is that the rest of the show right now is, is escalating at such a rate that I don't care that there's an I don't care match. And that's where this kind of sits. I didn't care, it sort of dragged out, and it, like I said in the, in the opening, it kind of sucked my soul out a little bit because it kind of went on for a while. It went on for two segments, it ended with a Grimes distraction and Thatcher getting the win, and then Cameron Grimes put a bag over over Dexter Loomis's head and and stomped him through a chair. And again, I'm gonna say uh, this sounds like a free commercial for my for my Twitter handle. Follow me at Spaz Phoenix. Follow me at Spaz Phoenix One. It's fine, but I literally put my thoughts. Out when when I when I tweeted about it, I said the rest of this show is great, but right now, right in this moment. Man's got a bag on his head. I got nothing. I don't care. And the thing is, the thing that is unfortunate about all this, sorry, as I try to collect my thoughts again and I sort of pull my head out of the match that I don't care about, um, is I was just starting to get into the groove of the Cameron Grimes thing. But if he's going to be, if next week I tune into NXT and there's a triple threat with these three guys, I'm going to put my brains out and I'm going to skip the match for the reasons that I'm saying right now. Now, we've got a lot of other cool shit happening next week that we're going to get to shortly. But if they throw this in the middle, that's a bad that's a bad sign. Gargano, in the back, calms himself down, tries to talk to William Regal, tries to get him to reverse it, says, yo, everybody can see that I clearly rigged the wheel. Leon Ruff wasn't even supposed to have a match. Therefore, you should have null and void the match. Therefore, I should sell my belt. He admits he rigged the wheel. Regal kind of looks at him. He's like, well, I guess, this, I guess the curse is still alive and goes back into his office and slams the door, which is great. Um, Ciampa, in the back, uh, with fictional thoughts that are way too similar to my own about people being tough versus people talking tough, uh, people getting up in the morning at looking to be a victim, looking to cry the loudest instead of actually doing any work. Uh, this was a great promo. Most people are going to disagree. That's fine. This promo is way too close to uh, how I think about how things are going right now, so I'm just going to leave that one where it is. Shout out to Ciampa. I think, I think the... While he's not in the ring very often right now, and when he was in the ring, he was stuck with Velveteen Dream, so let's take what we can get. While he's not in the ring, and he's cutting these these segmented promos in the back, they're low-key really effective, because there's just enough truth in them, and I don't care what that says about me. The world is full of people that cry to get their way. The world is full of people that get up in the morning and decide they want to be offended by somebody that day. They're it like cancel culture exists for a reason the whole idea that i'm not i'm not calling them out for something they're doing right now i've just decided that i don't like them so i'm gonna read their twitter from 10 years ago like that kind of shit versus act i saw somebody say that there should be a separate wing in the remembrance day ceremonies for keyboard warriors and i just about threw up my lunch I, e even if it was sarcastic, that's just really, well, that, that's a distasteful comment, first of all, but second of all, you really think you're doing something with that hashtag, and, uh, okay, 
think you're doing something with a hashtag. Amber Heard, Johnny Depp, Me Too is bullshit. There we go. That's what we do with Keyboard Warriors. Uh, we get a prime target on the Rhea Ripley versus Io Shirai title match, which is awesome. It's a whole bunch of Rhea Ripley talking about what WrestleMania should have been to her and how it's taken her a long way to get back, and Io Shirai makes, sort of making fun of that low-key. And I'm watching this, and I'm thinking, this is... They could drag this out. This could be on December's TakeOver. And then they cap off the video with, this is happening next week. Excuse me, what now? Excuse me, what now? A, I guarantee they get a number next week. I don't, I'm not saying, oh, they're going to beat AEW in the ratings because I'm pretty sure they buy ratings. They buy ratings the way some people buy votes. A, there we go. Um, but this is going to do something for them next week, as will the announcement that Finn Balor will be on NXT next week to address the NXT title situation. Either he's going to come out and say that he's totally fine and he's fighting somebody else and we're going to find out uh, who his opponent is for December, like, come out now, tell us you're going to be okay in a month and you're going to fight so-and-so, or he's coming out to advocate the title, in which case they just have to admit that that title is cursed and admit that right now the main event scene in NXT is run by the women. And you know what? I'm okay with that. I really, really am. Think about this, and I've said it before, and I think we said it on, on tomorrow's video as well. We have not had a champion. We, we Keith Lee went to Raw, and then the title went to Karrion Cross, who immediately got injured, and then we had all the hoopla, 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 and the, the title belt eventually got put on Balor, he went to take over, him and Kyle O'Reilly fucked each other up, and he's off now. So we haven't really had a championship presence since Keith Lee went to Raw. Now, the strength of the women's division, and to a certain extent the other two um, singles champions, the North American Championship and the Cruiserweight Championship coming into prominence finally. We haven't had a champion, but we haven't missed it, really. Halloween Havoc didn't have an NXT Championship match on it, and it didn't feel any lesser for it, and thus they haven't felt the need to necessarily push forward another NXT Championship situation like they did with the Tag Eliminator and, and, and the Fatal 4-Ways and all that kind of thing. So... Taking out their champion, obviously, I don't want to see Kyle O'Reilly injured. I don't want to see Finn Balor injured. I don't want to see um, Karrion Cross injured. I don't want to see Keith Lee dying a slow death on Raw. I don't want to see what happened to Rich Holland and, and that whole scenario. But not having the champion uh, has just made you realize if you're if you are a loyal like black and gold loyalist like I am, um, how much that's okay. Like, you can sort of pull back a little bit. I'm not saying, like, put the NXT title on Brock Lesnar and do something like that. That's not, that's not where I'm going. But the other the other divisions, tag team divisions, still struggling. I get it. The AEW fans out there, yes, I gotcha. Everything that I can say about women's wrestling, you guys can say about tag wrestling. You can stop beating that drum because I'm not even arguing with you anymore. In fact, myself and Guapo might have some content for you guys coming on that particular topic in the future. But, right now, the fact that we haven't had a champion is what I'm trying to get around to. And it hasn't hurt the show, shows the, shows the density of the show. And I think that's really fucking awesome. I do think, though, you are going to underline the curse on that title if Finn Balor comes next week on NXT and abdicates it. Because that's a bummer. But, Rhea Ripley, Io Shirai... One-on-one uh, -on -one for the Women's Championship. Better get the main event slot, first of all. But second of all, it better it, they better have gone to uh, USA Network and gotten the commercial-free treatment. They've done it before. They can do it again. And just, just do it. Or either have the match and let it be fucking amazing, or have the match and let every other awesome woman on that roster run an interference at least once. And just be like, here's our roster balls on the table, ironically speaking, of course. Um, either way, it's going to be awesome next week. I cannot wait to review it. I cannot wait to come up here. next. I'm already looking forward to talking to you guys about next week's Women's Championship match. Really, really worried about the, the Balor announcement. That, that's sort of scary. Um... Before the main event, the kings of the the kings of NXT come out. They cut a promo. Pat McAfee talks about what a badass Pete Dunne is. Pete Dunne just sort of stands in the back room looking tough. Um, I did say, I did say, 
uh, Survivor Series. NXT is not involved this year. What If they were, what I would love to see is Pat McAfee's three boys versus this new current heel version of Roman and the Usos. Not only because the match would be great and those six guys would kill each other, but can you imagine Pat McAfee and Paul Heyman on opposite corners on the outside of the ring? I want to see that match. I want you to tap that match into my veins. Moving on. Um, basically, yeah, Pat McAfee says, I'm here, the best tag team in the world is here, the, the toughest guy in NXT is here, I'm going to go grace you on commentary, and it's all good. So Pat McAfee joins commentary, Pete Dunne just sort of stands over him looking tough with his little fucking British top knot gimmick there, and we get Lorcan and Birch versus Breezango for the tag team championships. Now, did you think this was going to go in Breezango's favor? It really, it really doesn't go in Breezango's favor, but we do tell even more stories, because the one thing that they talked about beforehand was they talked about Pete Dunne making his comeback, taking out Kyle O'Reilly, and then taking out Killian Dane. And they actually showed some blood in the Killian Dane attack last week. Now, that blood was incredibly fake and made me laugh my ass off, but it was still, you know, it's not something WWE usually does. All four men brawl to start. They brawl to the outside. There's a backdrop on the floor by Lorcan. And Birch eats the rail on the outside. Fandango and Birch start the match in the ring. There's a mud hole by Fandango. A mud hole by Breeze because he felt like joining in on the fun. Snap suplex and uppercuts by Lorcan. Corner double team by Breezango. Stiff back elbow by Breeze. Birch works on the midsection. Super kick sandwich by Breezango was really, really fun. Even though, you know, this is supposed to be super serious Breezango. They still did the pose when they came out. See, this is, this is my problem with a team like Breezango. Um, and it's and it's an okay problem to have because it's not the end of the world. But I have been waiting forever for Tyler Breeze and Johnny Curtis to just come out and be a serious tag team, even if it was like for a short span for a short span of time. For like, hey, here's the one opponents that we really need to be serious for. Just let them come out and be regular wrestlers, and then as soon as they're done, like snap right back into the cheesy cheesy Breezango shit. And I thought that's where they were leaning tonight, but they still come out and they still did the selfie stick and the pose thing on the side of the ring, and I'm just like, eh, if you're going to do it, do it. Uh, I would love to see it, if, but if they're not going to do it, stay with the gimmick. I don't know. Breeze tosses Lorcan at Pac McAfee and Pete Dunn on commentary as we go to commercial break. Coming back from the commercial break, there's a catapult by Breeze, forearms by Fandango, and a clothesline falcon arrow by Fandango, a top rope something by Fandango to the outside. Lorcan crotches Fandango on the top rope, and... Only Lorcan goes to do something to him, but Only Lorcan gets taken out by a cheap shot. Cheap shot by who? Cheap shot by Drake Maverick, who's out there being the fighting guy that he is in an NXT t-shirt that doesn't fit him properly, and he's sticking up for his buddy. Uh, he also takes a dive and takes out Pat McAfee, which is hilarious, because McAfee's huge, and Drake Maverick's not, and that's fine. And then Pete Dunne slowly sort of comes around the ring on the other side and kills Drake Maverick. There's a run-in by Pat. Dunne tosses uh, Breeze on the outside, and they do the double-team elevated DDT thing to win the match. Lorcan and Birch retain their titles. Obviously, Drake Maverick jumps back into the fray and gets a four-on-one beatdown by four guys bigger than him. They all move to the outside. It eventually becomes a three-on-four, which still doesn't work out good for anybody. Pete Dunne, who we haven't seen actually wrestle in ages, hits the X-Plex on Drake Maverick on the announce table. And then they sort of pose Tyler Breeze on the same table, and he hits them with the punt, the same punt that he hit Adam Cole with. And the entire time, I'm like, okay, this has gone on a little too long. Somebody else has got to come out. At some point, one of these segments is just going to hear, you're just going to hear that shock the system music, and the actual brawl is going to start. No one disputed era tonight, but it's going to happen, and it's going to be really, really fucking good. And the thing is, is you've really got this outside guy that's gathered three guys together and he's being their mouthpiece. But here's the thing, we already know that this outside guy can wrestle. So this match, when it does happen, and I hope it's war games, but I doubt it because the world kind of sucks and hates us right now, and unless they move, unless they move the CWC to the Thunderdome, I don't think they can fit the double ring and the double cage into the, into the, I was going to say the PC, but what is it right now? It's the CWC. Now, I've heard again, rumors cannot be substantiated whatsoever, that the Thunderdome is moving to an open stadium when they're done at the Amway. Now, if they want to drop the double ring and the double cage in a stadium full of Thunderdome screens, I would be 100% for that. I'm not going to lie. But, take a look at it right now. If they are getting Io Shirai 
and Rhea Ripley out of the way right now. What do they have planned for that women's championship come that that pay-per-view in December? Because I don't nobody has ever said war games. We assume war games because we have these two men's teams that are that are going at it. We assume war games because the women's division is kind of start, starting to draw a line down the middle. On one side, you've got, you know, Dakota and Gonzalez and Candice and Indy Hartwell. And on the other side, you've got Rhea Ripley, Tony Storm, Ember Moon, Shotzi Blackheart. Um... What else are they going to do with that women's division? Um... But there's a lot of cool, and I mean, if we get Finn Balor back by then, who's he defending against? All these people that are fighting over the cruiserweight, or the tag, or the North American Championship, nobody's really putting their hand up to say, hey, I want to step up to Balor, unless that's what Tommaso Ciampa's backstage things are going to do, because another round of Ciampa versus Balor, thank you, yes please. A um, lot of cool shit, there are a lot of different ways we can go, and it's only the fans that are talking about it that say the December pay-per-view is going to be war games. I they've brought back old names before, old pay-per-view names before. I know there's a bunch of WCW pay-per-view names that they stole from Cody Rhodes, even though they own them. So fuck Cody Rhodes. Um, but honestly, just give me Takeover Armageddon, or or you know what, Takeover New Year's Resolution, or or something to that effect. Just have something that is absolutely cataclysmic with that theme to cap off this year. Give us that War Games match. Give us a women's War Games match. Throw some other shit in between. It's good. Like, it's, like, I can't tell you where NXT is going right now. I can't tell you specifically where we go after next week with the women's division. I can't tell you where we're going with Xia Li and the potential Chinese mafia that exists inside NXT. I can't tell you where we're going with the Cruiserweight title because they might have put it on Atlas. I can't tell you where Leon Ruff, not Leo Rush, is going with the North American Championship that doesn't fit him properly. Um, I don't know where the Garganos are going. I don't know where, like, Scream, a.k.a. Indy Hartwell, is going um but there's a lot of cool shit if you give me a takeover match between thatcher and and loomis i might strangle somebody like i might just, I might just cut off their air supply until they pass away so they'll be black and blue i'll still be black and gold hey one more corny line to end the night i've been spaz your ywc reality check subscribe up there talk down there start a conversation keep all these conversations going don't be a stranger i'll talk to each and every last one of you later but for right now i am tagging out bye guys Don't shut up, you're a freak like me Don't